Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and uh, grab a Bible, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 15. Today we are concluding a series that we've been calling Praying with Paul, Cultivating a Life of Prayer. And I just want to begin by throwing out a question to you, and I want you to kind of think about this. Do you believe that God answers every prayer? Do you believe that God answers every prayer? You know, God says in Jeremiah 33.3, God says, call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So do you believe in that? Do you believe that God answers every prayer? Um, I would submit to you today that God does answer every single prayer, but he doesn't answer it always in the way that we would like him to. Sometimes God will answer your prayers with a yes. Sometimes God will answer your prayers with a no. Sometimes God will answer your prayers with a wait or in my time, or in my way. Sometimes God will answer your prayers, I have a better idea. Sometimes God will answer your prayers by saying, grow up, I want you to grow up. Uh, Sometimes he will do that. And so God answers every single prayer, uh, but he doesn't always answer every single prayer with a yes. What's fascinating to me is as you read read through the scripture and you're looking at this question from Genesis to Revelation, God tells a number of great men and women of faith, he tells them no. He gives them the answer no. So you see this in the life of Abraham, you see it in the life of of Hannah, Moses, Job, Jonah, David, um, the Apostle Paul for sure, and I could go on and on with this. And so the reality for you and for me is we're going to experience a lot of no's from God throughout our lifetime. That's just the reality of it. And you know, as I think about the times that I've really struggled in my own walk with God, they usually have something to do with God telling me no. You know, as I think back over the course of my life, I was praying about something and fervently and consistently and just with faith, and then God answers by saying, no, those times were very, very hard. They were very, very confusing and certainly disappointing. And, and there were times when I was just so angry with God, I just gave up on prayer altogether. Now, it wasn't that God didn't answer my prayers. He did answer. It's just I didn't like the answer that he gave. And maybe, maybe that has been your experience uh, at different times in your life as well. I think you can kind of phrase that like this. If God is all powerful and God is love and God has given us his great promises related to prayer, then why is it that, that you know, my prayer request is denied and someone else is granted? You ever wondered that? You ever wondered why some people experience a miracle and then other people don't? Or maybe you pray for somebody, a family member or a friend who is sick, who's very ill. You pray for them and pray for them and they're not healed. But then you find out from someone else that, you know, somebody that they've been praying for was healed. And so for a lot of us, that's the reality of prayer. Now in this series, we've been, you know, we've been looking at kind of the prayers of the Apostle Paul that are throughout the New Testament. And I think the, the real danger in, the, in a series like this would be that I could easily send you kind of the wrong message that all you have to do is pray the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed and, and, and kind of like a magical incantation. And if you'll just do that, then you'll get everything you ask for from God. You know that that if you know you just kind of treat God or treat prayer as a formula to follow or a, 
uh, a mechanical set of directions where you just kind of check off the list of things. And, and if you just do that, then everything will turn out well in the end. And what this reveals is it reveals that we sometimes very easily can view God as if he's a vending machine. That we can view God as if he's some kind of magic genie. You know, you, you, you rub the lamp and he, you know, he gives you three wishes or you, you, know, you put your prayer in the slot and it comes out the way that you really want it. And so the truth is this, that God is not a vending machine, that God is not a magic genie. He is your heavenly father. He's not like a father. He is your heavenly father. And, and so the truth of the matter is that God doesn't always give you what you want, but he will always give you what you need. He will always answer it in what's best for you. You can take that to the bank. And so God really wants us to come to the place of trusting him even when he messes up our prayers and our plans. He wants us to come to that place of really believing that he knows what is best for us this morning. So here's what I want to do this morning. I really want us to go back and look at a, uh, as, we, as we're kind of focusing on the prayers of the Apostle Paul, I want us to look at a, at a prayer of the Apostle Paul that's a little bit different than the ones we've looked at. I really wanted to kind of conclude this series on this because I think for a lot of us, we have questions relative to this, to this issue of, you know, when God tells us no in answer to prayer. Because what we're going to see is, is in this different kind of prayer that, that we see from the Apostle Paul, he's not telling others how he is praying for them. He's actually asking them to pray for him. And what's fascinating is that God doesn't answer Paul's request in the way that he wanted or even the way that he expected. He gets, he gets a no uh, from God. So we're going to look at Romans 15. We're going to read verses 22 through 33. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand together as we read the word of God this morning. So Paul, near the end of Romans, says this. He says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see, in you, uh, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they, they owe it to them. For if, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I've completed this and I've delivered to them what has been collected, then I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, I love this because he's really wrapping up the end of his letter to the Romans, and he's kind of giving some kind of final thoughts and final requests. And he, and he as you see in verses 30, 31, and 32, he kind of gives a prayer, uh, prayer list of concerns for them to be lifting up for him. But, but God doesn't exactly 
answer those prayer requests in the way that he wanted. So we're going to try to, what I want to do today is we're going to really just try to get behind that a little bit because it's not evident just from reading it. And uh, I need to give you a little bit of context for this. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me and then, and then we will really start to make some applications. So let's walk through it. Let's begin in verse 22 and uh, let's just kind of see what's happening uh, in, in, this, in this passage. So he says, he says this, this is the reason why I've been so often hindered from coming to you. He says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So basically all he's saying here is this, I've really longed to go and be with you, to spend time with the Roman Christians. I've really wanted to do that, but to this point, circumstances have really hindered that. I haven't been able to come. And he says, I'm, you know, I'm on my way. I'm planning to go to Spain, so I'm hoping to stop by Rome on my way, and maybe we can hang out there together. So uh, that's basically what he's saying. But it gets, it gets even more interesting. Look at verse 25. He says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. And then he says something about kind of, you know, giving them, um, talking about their motivation for it. The Gentiles have, have come to share in their spiritual blessings, then they ought to be able to share and, and contribute to their material blessings. Now, what's interesting, what's going on here is Paul is laying out his travel plans for them. And um, he, he's got some pretty big and audacious plans. This is, this is kind of his, his future, his itinerary. And the first thing that he says is, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I've been organizing an offering to take to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And the Macedonian Christians and the, and the Christians in Achaia have made significant contributions to this offering. And so I'm going to take that offering and deliver it to the Jewish Christians that are in Jerusalem. Now, we're really not sure what caused the need for an offering uh, for the Christians in Jerusalem. But, but apparently, and some commentators speculate that there was a severe famine in the land and that caused uh, extreme poverty for, for, for everybody, uh, but especially especially the church that was, that was in existence there. So he's thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I need to head to Jerusalem. And then secondly, he says, I'm going to go to Rome. I want to hang out. I want to visit with you guys. And, uh, and then third, he's basically saying, I'm, I want to go to Spain because Spain has not received the gospel. Spain hasn't heard the gospel. So his thought is, I want to go there and begin preaching and, 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 and perhaps even start a church. So these are, these are pretty big plants. I mean, this is, this is no small thing. If you add up the mileage, church, this is 3,000 miles. And he doesn't have a private jet like many televangelists do. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he doesn't have that. This is 2,000 years ago. And uh, so this is no small feat that he is, he is attempting to do. But he's absolutely confident that he's going to get there, he's going to do that, that, that God is going to be with him. You see that in verse 29. Let me, let me just, you know, show that to you. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So he fully expects uh, to be able to see them. And then you begin to see his prayer requests. And this is where we really get into, you know, our experience and, and definitely was his experience in prayer. Sometimes God tells you no. And then let's, let me just show it to you. He says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, this is verse 30, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God 
on my behalf. All right, now let me just kind of stop there for, for just a moment. So, so what he's doing here is he's asking them to pray for him, and he's really describing prayer as a struggle. So he's talking about, I appeal to you, I implore you, I beg you basically to strive for me on my behalf in your prayers. That word strive literally means to strain. It, means, it, it really means to, to uh, fight together. Will you fight with me in your prayers to God on my behalf? And I think the picture that he gets here, that he gives to us, is that prayer is very difficult. And we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. I think we, we have this image that prayer should be easy and it should flow just so naturally. And it's, it's, it's very difficult. In fact, I would say that the way he's describing it here is that prayer is a struggle. It's a battle. It's a war. And, this, and, and prayer really requires discipline. And, and when, you think about, when you think about it, it is part of what prayer is. It's just spiritual agonizing. And it's, it's a struggle sometimes. Now, Oswald Chambers puts it even more succinctly. I want, to, I want you to notice what he says. It's one of my favorite quotes from Chambers. He says, he says, prayer is not preparation for work. It is work. He says, prayer is not preparation for battle. It is the battle. Prayer is twofold, definite asking and definite waiting, on, on, on waiting to receive, he says. Now, he's just cutting it, you know, just cutting right to it. And getting rid of all the misconceptions that we have about prayer. Prayer is a challenge. Prayer is absolutely hard work. But if you think about it, church, the payoff is out of this world. So anything worthwhile isn't going to be easy. And I think the reason why prayer is such a struggle is that the heart of what prayer is, is it's really the opportunity for our hearts in prayer to be softened to accept the will of God for our lives to accept the circumstances that we're in, to align our will with the will of God. I think that's the struggle. And then added to that is we have an enemy, Satan, who is trying to deceive us, trying to lie to us so that we don't submit to the will of God in our lives. We have our own sinful flesh that doesn't want to submit, and we have the pull and the lure of the world that doesn't want us to submit either. So all of that really goes into why it's a challenge for us to develop consistency in our prayer because at the heart of it, maybe there's something I don't want to follow in God's will. Maybe there's, not, maybe there's something there that I, I don't want to submit to. So, so I think he's reminding them and asking them, will you go to war for me? Will you pray for me? Because, you know, there's, there's just that reality. Now, once you, once you come to that place, let me just say this. Once you come to that place of submitting, man, that's where the sweetness enters into. That's where the joy is. That's where the grace is. You know, you pray until you break through. And, uh, and you're just trusting that God is going to work in ways that you can't see, which we'll talk about in a minute. But here's the second thing that I want us to see about this. And it's, it's prayer is not only a struggle, but prayer is crucial. And I would, I would even add prayer for the ministry of the church is crucial. And basically that is what he's asking for. And you see the three requests in verse 31. He says, he says, pray, strive, go to war with me in your prayers that I, number one, that I would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. 
that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and so that, God, so that by God's will I may come to you and be, and be refreshed. Now, um, he's talking about, first of all, that I may be delivered from, from the unbelievers in, in Jerusalem. And so this is, a, this is a prayer for safety. This is a prayer for deliverance. There were several people in Judea that wanted the Apostle Paul dead. There were several people in Judea that, if, if not dead, they wanted him in prison, at least silenced and shut up. And so he knows that. And he's not praying this church so that, you know, he can make it to Spain and have a nice holiday at the sea. You know what I mean? I mean, that's not what he's praying for. He's really praying for deliverance so that he can continue to preach the gospel. I mean, he's not worried about himself personally. He just wants to further the work of God. And that's why he's He is asking for prayer. And as I think about this, and as we make a a very simple application, we need to be praying for our church. We need to be praying for our church family, that God will shield us and protect us from the enemy, from the spiritual forces that are real that want to destroy the work of God in this place. And so I think as a church, we have to be aware that the enemy wants to divide us, that he wants to divide us over politics, over you know, stupid political stuff and then uh, cultural, the latest cultural philosophies of the day that just swing in and swing out like, like a cool spring breeze, you know, or, or maybe just non-essential theological arguments. I mean, the enemy would love to do that here. And we need to be praying for our unity and for, for our deliverance from, from Satan's schemes. And that's why, you know, tonight is such an important thing. We're going to be gathering tonight at 6.30 to pray for our country, to pray for our church, to pray for one another, to pray for our community. That's, that's just what the early churches did, and that is what we will do as well. And so, so prayer is really essential uh, for the, over the ministry of our church. Look at, look at verse 31. So he says this. Uh, he's also praying. This is his second request, uh, that, that my service to uh, the he says this, my service to the saints will be acceptable uh, to the saints. Now, what is he really talking about there? He's a little bit concerned, just a little bit concerned as he's taking this offering to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He's, he, he doesn't want it to, to send a wrong message, if you will. So you, you know this, some, some people are not very good at receiving things. Some people are not very good at receiving love. And uh, it takes just as much grace to receive something in the right spirit, you know, every bit as much as it takes grace to give something in the right spirit. So he just wants to make sure that he's, as he delivers this offering, that the Jewish Christians receive it in love because in, that's the motivation for which it was given, no other motivation. So he's asking them, will you just pray that the ministry that I've done for this will be acceptable to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem because that is what they are. And then lastly, he prays, the third part of this is so that, you know, by God's will, I may come to you, he says, and be refreshed in your company. And this is where we really begin to see God saying no to the Apostle Paul. When you think about those three requests, which ones did God grant? He's praying that he'd be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that the offering would be acceptable, number two, and then he would finally get to Rome and be able to hang out uh, with his newfound friends and and, uh, relationships there. 
Of the three, God only answered number two. So as far as we know, they received the offering without, without any problem, without any hiccups. But when you think about you know, the prayer to be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, when Paul got to Jerusalem, we know this from the book of Acts, when he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested, he was tried, and he was imprisoned about as soon as he got there. And here you go, God saying no to him. Lastly, uh, he did finally make it to Rome. That's the third prayer request he got to Rome. But it was three years after. You know, it was three years post of what he was kind of planning. And then when he, you know, the way he got there, he got there in chains and in prison. And so, um, so, so the reality is, is the Apostle Paul gets two no's out of three. You ever felt that? Raise your hand if you ever felt that way. You got, you got some no's from God. Absolutely. And the reality is this. I would say that the single biggest test of your faith in the Christian life will be when God says no to your prayers and to your plans. The single biggest test will be you're praying about something. You're offering it up to God. You're praying with faith. You're praying consistently. You're praying, you know, according, you know, to the word of God. And God says no to you. God gives you a no. That will be the biggest test of your faith. And he's going to ask you the question, will you trust me in this? And then you've got a decision. And so, especially when there's a tragic accident, there's an unexplained death, there's a dashed dream, there's an unfulfilled longing, God is going to ask, will you trust me in this? It's just the reality. Now, why does God mess up our prayers and our plans by answering, you know, no? Well, let me, let me give you two reasons, uh, just, just briefly this morning. There, there are a number of reasons, okay? There's the, this is not exhaustive, but let me just give you two reasons why God will mess up your prayers and your plans with a big fat no. Uh, number one, he can see what I can't see. I think that's where we have to start, is that God can see. God will tell us no for what we're praying for because he can see the big picture and we can't. I mean, I can see maybe a fraction of the fraction of the picture, but God sees the entire picture. God has an unlimited perspective, but my perspective is absolutely limited. He sees, God sees the wider view of it. And so God sees through the curves of our life. He, he sees through the peaks and the valleys. He sees all the way to the end of our life. You know what? I can't even see the next 10 minutes of my life. And so God has a, a much different perspective. He can see what I can't see. So we make big plans and we pray big prayers. But the problem is, is I can't see the unintended consequences of my praying and my planning. Does that make sense? And so every answer, every yes answer, really uh, starts an immediate chain reaction of events that flow out of that yes answer. And the reality is, is I can't see all of that chain reaction, but God can. And so I can't see the implications, the consequences, or even, even the results of what I'm praying for. And so I have to come to that place of really just trusting in him, that he knows what is best. Let me show this to you from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9. So uh, this is what Samuel records. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Now, what does that mean practically? Does that mean he keeps you completely out of trouble? 
No, it doesn't. I think what it means is this. Sometimes you're going to walk through trouble. Because what's best for us at any particular moment in time is going through that trouble and learning something as a result of that trouble. Does that make sense? So, so what God says is, yeah, I'm going to walk you, you're going to go into this trouble. I'm not going to keep you from the trouble, but I'm going to walk with you through the trouble. That's the difference. And so, you know, you can think about Daniel in the Old Testament. You know, Daniel was praying, uh, which was against the law. He was arrested for that. And, uh, and so he's praying, oh, Lord, don't, don't throw me into the lion's den. <laughs> don't throw me into the lion's den. And, and, uh, and what did the king do? Absolutely, threw him right in the lion's den. And, um, and so God said, yeah, you're going to go into the lion's den. I'm not going to keep you out of the lion's den. But what I am going to do is I'm going to shut the mouths of lions. And that's the better plan. That's the better miracle. And that's the better result. Same thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've heard this story. They defied the king. They were arrested. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. They were like, Lord... Keep us out of the fiery furnace, but we're good with whatever you, you, know, you decide. And God says, you know what? You're going in the fiery furnace, but I'm going to be in there with you. And you're going to come out unsinged and untouched. And the truth of the matter is this, church. There are going to be times when you and I both say to God privately in prayer, God, I, I don't want to go through this fiery trial. I don't want this. And God's going to say, I'm going to be with you through it. Because of what's going to happen as a result of walking with me through it. You're going to be set free from that addiction. You're going to be released from that fear. You're going to be set, you know, set free from that, from that shame and from that guilt. You're, you're going to be transformed because there are just certain things that we've got to walk through with the presence of God. So that we become the people that God really wants us to be. And he can only do that in the school of adversity, in the school of, of trials and that kind of thing. And so God sees all of that. He sees farther than we can see. And, uh, and we have to trust his plan. Now, I, I'm just going to speculate with you on this. This is not, I have nothing in scripture to back this up. So just take this for what it's worth. But it could be that Paul's plan to go to Rome was that he was going to rent out the Colosseum and have a big crusade there. I don't know. I'm just thinking it through. Maybe, maybe that was his plan. He's going to fill a stadium, have a big crusade, you know, preach the gospel, give an invitation, and maybe launch a church in this kind of mega environment. But, you know, uh, God said, no, you're not going. You're not doing that that way. And, uh, and in fact, what do you know that God did? God got him to Rome in chains and basically God tied him down and said I want you to write a few things for me and guess what we have as a result of his time in prison yeah we've got most of the New Testament here that he authored and so God sees farther than we can see and we have to trust his you know his way that he can see uh, a lot farther secondly this is another reason why God would mess up our plans and our prayers is that God has a better plan like, not only can he see farther, he can see what we can't see, but he's just got a better plan. Like, he's got something cool coming. 
And so, and so what you see here is you're praying about something and, and God, God answers and says, you know what, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it in a different way. I, I'm going to answer in a different way. I've got a better idea. And Isaiah, the prophet, shows us this. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, this is a tremendous passage. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, you know, than your thoughts. Now, I want you to notice two things about this passage. You know, let's just look at, look at it just for a minute. I want you to notice that there's a contrast between our ways and his ways. There's a definite separation between his thoughts and our thoughts. So that's the first thing. His thoughts, this is the main difference, his thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. By inference, what we, what we understand is they're just better, right? He's God. But secondly, I want you to notice that it's plural. God has a lot of ways. God has a lot of plans. God is never limited in, you know, in, in just one way of doing something. God has unlimited options when it comes to answering our prayers. He has, he has many alternatives. And so uh, he's never forced to move a certain way. So let's, let, me, let me just kind of tease this out a little bit. Let's say that you're in financial trouble. Let's say that you are in debt up to your ears and you're finally on your knees. You're calling out to God, God, please deliver me uh, from this. You're going to have to bail me out of this. You know, I know that it was my fault. I spent way too much. I didn't live within a budget, that whole thing. And, uh, and so you're praying and, you know, you get an idea, God, if I could just win the lottery, that would get me out of this out of this situation. God, will you just help me? I'm gonna go down. I feel led by the Holy Spirit to go down and buy a lottery ticket. And uh, man, you could, you could get me out of this really easily. Now, now, we laugh about that, but church, I've done that all the time. Not on that particular topic, but, but in other ways. We ask God for something and then we tell God how we want him to answer it. You guys know what I'm saying? And so we start getting, we start boxing him in with one way to answer it. When God has so many different ways, so many different means at his disposal. Now I will guarantee you, if you're in financial trouble and you're praying to win the lottery, he is not going to answer it that way. I can guarantee you. And the reason why is you would never learn good stewardship if he did that. See, God's so much more interested in your in your character than anything else in your life, and he wants to grow you and change you. And so, so his answers are always going to be for your growth and for his glory. That's, where, that's the zone they're going to land in, your growth and his glory. Martin Luther says it beautifully. He says it like this. He says, we pray for silver, but God gives us gold instead. You know what he's saying there? Like we pray for bronze and silver, we settle for second and third, and God's like, let me give you the best thing. Let me give you, let me give you gold. And so he has bigger plans and better plans. Uh, you know, as I think about, as I think about the things in my life that I've, the big things that I've prayed for, I am so glad God told me no on some of those big prayer requests that I pray. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like my prayer request in high school was, I want to play college football. That was my plan. And I'm so glad God said no. You know why? Because if I tried to do that, I would be in the ditch right now. I really would be. 
not only that, but I was dating this girl in college. I thought she was the one. I, you know, I thought that she was God's plan for me to marry, and she broke my heart. She absolutely devastated me. And you know how I talked about how when God gives you a no, that it will be the most significant test of your faith in the Christian life? Well, it was for me. And, um, and so it was tough getting, kind of picking myself up after all of that happened. But you know what? God, God spoke and he said, you know what, Scott? I've got a better plan for you. And if you know my wife, you know Luann is the better plan. Praise God for that. So, but at the time, I couldn't see that. But I was so glad he told me no. I didn't know what I was praying. And, uh, and a lot of times we don't. There's, it's interesting because there are lots of people in the Bible um, that never got what they asked for. Never got it. They never saw it. And so they, they stayed sick. They stayed poor. You know, whatever, whatever it is they were praying for. You see this in Hebrews 11, uh, verses 39 and 40. This is tremendous. He says, and all of these. So Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. He lists out so many great men and women of faith. And then he kind of sums it up and says, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. So they were waiting you know, they were waiting and, and they never, they really never saw it. And here's the thing, church, God has all of eternity to fulfill his promises and answer your prayers. He's got all of eternity to do that. And uh, that's what he did for so many, for so many of them. I think we try to limit God to our 60, 70, 80 years on earth when in reality, God has all of eternity to fulfill his promises to you. Isn't that amazing? So, all right, now what do you do? Let's just say you're in a situation right now where God has told you no. And um, what do you do when God has, has answered no to your prayers and, and messed up your plans? Well, let me, let me just share these three quick things with you. Number one, when God gives you a no, put the gospel at the center of your life. Put the gospel at the center of your life. The Apostle Paul is able to, He's able to flex with the curveballs that God is throwing him. Do you know why? Because the gospel was his priority. He is able to deal with the twists and the turns and God telling him no and, 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 and God changing up his plans. He is really able to, to kind of flow with that because the gospel is central to his life. If he was living for comfort, if he was living for his own glory and his own uh, exaltation of his reputation, or if he's, you know, just living to be self-fulfilled, then he, it's going to be rough for him because life, church, just doesn't work that way. Life is not about us. And so, and so, he understands that God has to be first. And so, and so he has surrendered his life. He surrendered his thinking. He surrendered his ambitions, his dreams, his finances, his relationships. He has surrendered all of that so that the gospel may be first. And see, when you think about it, I mean, you only have three options when God tells you no. You can resist it when God tells you no. You can, you can resist his plan. You can resent his plan. You can get angry at God like, like I have, I've done at times. You can resist it, you can resent it, or you can relax in it. And man, that's where the peace and the joy is. When God gives you no, 
the gospel is central and you just relax in the gospel and let God do his thing and he will do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. Number two, you know, when you're in pain, I would say this, pray what Jesus prayed on the cross. When God gives you a no and you're, you're, you're in pain from that, then pray the prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. You remember in the, you know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, he was contemplating what was going to happen the next day. He was going to be beaten and shamed and spit upon and whipped and, and he would be crucified. But even more than that, he would be separated from the Father. And he didn't want that. And so Mark 14 tells us what he prayed before going to the cross. He says, he says this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. He's recognizing that God has all power. You see, he's focused on that God has unlimited power, that all things are possible through him. So that's part of the prayer that he prayed. But then notice his request. Remove this cup from me, he says. I don't want to go through this. I don't want this. This is, this is, this is Jesus, the Son of God, who's having to take a no from his heavenly father. Do you see that? See, it wasn't just Moses that got turned down or Jonah or Job or Peter or, or Paul. It was Jesus that experienced a no from God. And so, and so what, what happens here is he's focusing on the power of God and he makes this request, take this, take this cup from me. But then he says this, not my will, but your will be done. See, that's the, that's the prayer we need to be praying. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And then lastly, when you get a no from God, expect God to give you grace to handle his answer. Expect God in faith, trust that he will, he will give you the grace to, to, to handle whatever answer that he gives you. Do you know what grace is? Grace is really the power to handle pain. That's what it is. Grace is really the power to do what's right, even though it's hard or it's difficult or it's painful. That's what grace is. And God gives, gives us grace for that. Let me, let me show it to you in the Apostle Paul's life. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about his thorn in his flesh. And I'm going to end with this. He talks about his thorn in his flesh. And we don't, we don't know what his thorn was. Um, there are a lot of different theories on that. But he he prayed three times, he says. Let me just read it to you. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, he says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, that my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what he's saying is, God gave me the grace to handle the answer that he gave me. And, and not only that, the result of that grace is not that I'm, I'm weaker because of he didn't take it away. I'm actually stronger because he didn't take it away. So whatever difficulty we're walking through, God will give us grace to rise above it so that he gets the glory and we get, we get the joy. We get to marvel at what he is doing. And so 
that is that is pretty remarkable when you kind of think about it. So, um, you know, let me let me just kind of say this: when you know when Jesus died on the cross, I mean, it really appeared like a complete failure. Like from the from the hundred and twenty that were following Jesus, the disciples. I mean, when they saw him crucified, they thought, "What have we done? This is ending in absolute defeat. This is ending in failure." We thought he was the son of God. And now the enemy has scored a huge victory and he's gone. He's, he's been taken from us. And so it looked like an absolute defeat. It's like, what in the world? It, you know, God, I, I'm sure they, 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 they were just wondering what in the world is going on. But you know what God did? Is he revealed his glory. Because you know what happened three days later, right? Easter Sunday, praise God. And God pulled uh, victory out of, the, out of the coffin of defeat. Man, I'm just telling you, he pulled victory out. And so as a result of his resurrection, not only did Jesus defeat sin, death, and hell, but man, many sons and daughters are now adopted into the family of God. And what, what looked like defeat was absolute victory through the grace of God. And so that's what it will be for you. God will give you no. He'll give me no. And it'll look like defeat. But it actually will end in victory. It'll end in glory. We just have to trust him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you praise because your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are infinitely higher than our ways. And God, I just confess that so many times I have, we have, we've asked you for something and then we've told you how we want you to do it. That sometimes we've used prayer as a, just a tool to manipulate you to try to get you to do what we want, what we think is best. But God, pray, we praise you because you alone know what's best. And so we just thank you for all the times that you've told us no. And I pray that uh, for those in our congregation right now that are kind of face-to-face with messed up plans and messed up prayers, God, that they would, they would just trust trust in you, that the gospel would be centered, the very center of their lives. And Lord, you promise that if we would, we would trust in you, we will see your glory. So God, will you show it to us? Will you just give us faith for that? Would you give us trust for that? Would you give us surrender and submission to that? Because that's where the joy is. That's where the sweetness is. A fellowship with you is. And we pray this in Jesus' name.